I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Hey, everyone. And you are listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Jason, I recently had this experience uh, working on a project where I'm coordinating with the, the client and all of a sudden there's another person involved in the project doing sort of uh, similar but different part of the scope. And I realized um, they kept referring to this person as an architect. So I was like, huh, interesting. So I look and uh, just look into them and I needed to coordinate something and I'm trying to figure out who they are and whatnot. And then I see their information and then it says designer and then they have the AIA, which is the architecture, American Institute of Architects uh, logo, but it says Mm -hmm. associate. And uh, so it's, it's really confusing because using that AIA logo presents you as an architect uh, but associate people don't realize uh, that they're not architects don't realize that the associate part of it uh, is clarification that you're not an actual licensed architect. So there's this confusion there that this person is playing a, a game with. And um, so I, I look into them a little bit and find out they're not a licensed architect. Um, but and maybe they're not presenting themselves intentionally as that, but there's a lot of blurred lines that uh, would confuse anybody that's not aware of the the details of it, that who's an architect and who's not. So I wanted to chat a little bit about licensing today, 
because there's a huge debate on the architecture side of the value of a license. Um, what does that signify? Uh, and then there, how does that relate to working with clients? Um, and then, you know, we can talk a little bit as far as the construction side. How does that work? Um, mm -hmm. So let's start there with on the construction side. Is there any debate as far as what's the value of a license or um, any I, anything going on like that on construction? I, I don't think there's really a debate about it. I think the thing that we're dealing with, to be honest with you, is I almost think it's completely watered down. You know what I mean? It's like, um, it feels like almost anybody, you know, the, the couple disciplines were in flooring and cabinetry. Um, almost anybody can get a flooring license. I mean, you just basically have to go take a test. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and you can become licensed or, you know, from the California state license board. Um, doesn't mean you're in a good, doesn't mean you know, really know what you're doing, to be honest with you. I know plenty of people that have licenses that had like probably have never worked in their trade before. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you kind of look at that from that perspective and I think it's kind of a joke. I mean, I actually have to go get a license for one of our, uh, uh, businesses for different reasons. And, um, you know, I, I'm not a great test taker, you know what I mean? And it's one of those things where like I could run circles around everybody, but I got to worry about, you know, how they used to do it 30 years ago and whatever else to be able to get a license and become licensed. It's like, you know, can we, I realize you can't look at everybody's body of work from the very beginning. Right. But you know, clearly I've been doing this for 15 years. I have a decent idea of, of what I'm doing. So, um, so I, I think it's, it's kind of like you, I, the way I look at it is like everybody had a California driver's license. Now you got to get a real ID cause they're trying to like, you know, cause I got spread out so much with everything else. It's kind of like, what's it really matter? Mm -hmm. Um, but there's no debate. I mean, you don't have a, you don't have a chance. You can't really operate a business in the construction industry without having one. If you're performing work, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. to be on a job site or doing whatever, especially with the builders that we work with, you have to be licensed. There's, mm -hmm. there's no question. It's not like, Oh, okay, well, you know, you're only doing a small part of it. So no big deal. Yeah. So I don't really know how that translates to the design side, you know, up front. Um, so is there, uh, so there's, you know, what people advertise themselves as licensed and bonded. Mm -hmm. Um, so there has to be a reason to do that. There has to be, and I'm pretty sure there are people that operate without licenses. Oh, and dude, for sure. I mean, like if you look at um, general contractors, right? Um, that one to me is pretty laughable because there's a gazillion general contractors out there. And I've run into plenty that I think have no idea what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And you see that and you've seen it. You've probably seen it before in some remodels. You look at the workman like, oh, my God. But it was yeah. done by a licensed and insured individual. Yeah. Well, they're really good at taking a test. Mm -hmm. They had a social security and a California driver's license. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they passed the test. So you get a license. Yeah. Um, you do have to show um, some proficiency in it just by body of work. I think it's only like a couple few years potentially. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't really mean anything because you could just, you were sweeping up trash on a job site for, you know, years and you're like, hey, I've been in the industry for three years. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know how much that is, but definitely I think it's a selling point when you look at different things or a marketing point for people to say I'm licensed and insured because there was such a big issue with uninsured people on, on, uh, people's properties getting hurt and then suing them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think it's more so a protection piece for the people that would be going and doing work with them. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then obviously to operate, you need to be insured as well is, is the idea of it. Yeah. On, on the architecture side, uh, the debate lies in that there's these loopholes of what you can practice as a quote unquote architect. Um, mm -hmm. there's sort of a threshold of, you don't have to have a license for anything that I think is, uh, I want to say it's like under 4,000 square feet 
wood frame and uh two-story max or something like that there's like a threshold oh. so anything under that which is a large that's a big threshold <laughs> that's like, a large hearing body. that yeah that's a large body of work to not have to have a license to to work with so with that in mind you know people how will hire people that are uh, quote-unquote designers and there's no real backing to their education or experience um Although there are some quote unquote designers that have been doing it for years and have tons of experience and will outperform any licensed architect. Um, so then there's that element to it. And mm. people are just like, why do I need to get this piece of paper to prove that I've been doing this for as, as long as I have? Right. Um, so there, there's th that's the debate and the concern. On the consumer side, as a licensed individual, there's a lot more pressure. There's a lot of oversight. Um, you can get scolded if you don't perform to the expectations of, of the industry. Um, so there's that tracking and, and responsibility that, that lies there. As a, as a designer with no license, you're sort of floating in no man's land. Although I'm sure you can go after them in some capacity. But well, I mean, I'm sure you probably have the big issue too. It's it, in order to get... Um, you know, license or whatever, you probably had to go to school, you had to do all that kind of stuff, you had to pay huge sums of money to be able to do so, right? So you, you look at it from both sides. It's like, look, I've, I paid my dues to be able to do this. Yeah. You shouldn't be able to do the same thing, right? Yeah. And <clears throat> which is fair coming from that standpoint. But if you flip that, the other person's like, why should I have to pay, you know, some organization, I don't know how much, hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. to get something that I already have a propensity to be able to do and I can just learn on the job. Yeah. I, I think that's a fair argument. Yeah. Um, you know, but we're really talking about attacking at that point, like infrastructure of how education works. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? The whole point to it, right? Like go get an education, go get a degree, right? Well, Bob, that's been doing the job for 20 something years that barely got his GED knows it better than anybody else. That's, that's just coming out of school or even a few years after school. Yeah. So I think that debate's never going to go away from that perspective. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I like the on-the-job training more so because you and I both know we sat through a whole lot of classes going through college and stuff that it's like, really? Econ 4? Like, I've mm -hmm. done this, like, I don't know how many times, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think it's a good debate. But I would think as you get into the higher-end stuff mm -hmm. um, and you get recurring clients that you're probably going to have to have the license. It's a safety thing, I think, yeah. for people. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, but that's the problem that I, people don't understand the difference of between a license or n not license. So a lot of people are taking advantage of to some extent. So there's that element of protecting the public is the purpose of licensing. But I totally see the uh, the argument that I've been doing this forever. Why do I need the piece of paper and to shell out all the extra money? Which well, also adds to yeah. the problem of uh, competing for, for work because yeah. a licensed individual is going to have to bill at a higher rate to cover all the costs of all the fees and yep. licensing and everything. So yep. they're undercut constantly by the designer, yep. which makes it very difficult to compete. So on top of that, that issue of competing on a financial scale, um, the design, the, the quote unquote bad designers that don't actually have all the experience and are just kind of floating out there on top of the lower costs and potentially bad experience they undervalue what 
architecture is as well as a as a profession because if you're using them and they're cheap costs you're gonna expect cheap costs from everybody so that distorts the the uh, consumers appreciation of the value of that um, service and then if they don't perform then they're like well what was the point of that or they can't perform then they're like what is the point of this in their mind architect um, because they can't do certain things that I need them to do so it just it creates this really muddy situation for a profession so again I I'm on both sides or I see both sides and I struggle with it because there are some people that like are chomping at the bit to report all of these people that they come yeah. across and they're like calling their local, uh, author- yeah. or not authority, but local boards to, I, <laughs> to complain. I would, I would, I would tend to, uh, I would tend to think the people that are doing that. And, and this is, this is an overgeneralized statement. Yeah. I tend to think those people are far too focused on their competition as opposed to their actual business because they're getting worked by these other guys. And so mm-hmm. what they're trying to do is they're trying to then say, well, this isn't legal. You know what I mean? Like somebody else solved my problem. The truth of the matter is, you know, when you're playing on the sports field or the rink or the basketball court or whatever it was, you can be working your tail off for six, seven, eight years. It happened to me when I was playing hockey. I was killing it, killing it, killing it, killing it, killing it. And all and just outworking everybody. And all of a sudden these two dudes that showed up that just absolutely kicked my ass that hadn't been doing it for nearly as long as I had, whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're just better. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I think sometimes people kind of go and cower and worry about it and try to hide behind the law as opposed to saying, how do I differentiate myself and attack that? They may not be able to, and that may be their only resort, but I know for most people, that's usually their easiest way out is to do that. So the thing that I was going to ask you, I want to come back to it was, is would you, this is, this is a question (laughs) with architects because you end up relying on the engineer and the guys that do all the MEPs and all that other kind of stuff. Don't take this term the wrong way. Is it easier for somebody just to draw something up and then rely on the, and you can almost pass the buck on the other guys and say, you have to put, so to a certain degree, unless you don't like the way it looks, I really don't have any, um, you know, skin in the game. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, as opposed to, you can't really fake being an engineer or a structural guy, because if you fake being an engineer or a structural guy, you're going to have some massive problems. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas I give you the plan or you give me the plan as an engineer and a structural person, and I have to figure out how to make that work. Do you, yeah. do you, is there a little bit of a difference there? Yeah, I see. I think I you know see what, what you're saying. Okay. Like, um, so definitely that has been uh, one of the issues with the profession is as the as society got more litigious, uh, mm-hmm. the profession started to sort of shy away from all the responsibility uh, to to dole some of that out to others. Okay. Um, and at the same time, the the industry or the buildings that we produce have gotten so complicated that it does require different people with specialties to address certain elements of it. So there's uh, both parts of those. So I think that in combination with the licensing thing has made it very difficult for the architectural profession to maintain its value. Uh, so like you mentioned, um, you have to reinvent and redesign what it is that you are and what you do to uh, sort of gain that value back. I was listening to another podcast that's on Gable Media, and uh, I think this was Practice Disrupted, and they talked about uh, it's hard to ask for more money for the same thing you've been doing. (laughs) No one's ever going to pay more than what they've already been paying. 
So you have to provide new services or a different way to deliver those services or just something completely different in order to gain that value back. So in my mind, long term, I'm thinking of going towards that route of like the master builder architect that used to be and having everything in-house um, and, you know, uh-huh. taking on that responsibility and uh, and a lot of other things. So I'm trying to approach the profession in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's hard to start from zero. So I'm working yeah. my way up slowly. But uh, like that's that's what's in my mind as far as my professional trajectory is to set myself up to be that master builder that also creates their own work rather than relying on a developer to to get that work. And I think that's kind of the thing, right? So going back to where, where I was mentioning, people are kind of, you know, hide, for lack of a better term, hiding behind the law and saying, well, you're not licensed. You know, how do you like just what, you know, I've had to do with different things we do here. How do you differentiate yourself from everybody else? So they, there's a desire to work with you, regardless of if you're licensed or not, mm-hmm. the people are coming to you. And I would argue that the people that are being fought with because they're designers, mm-hmm they've figured out a way to catch people's attention and draw them in. It could be cheaper rates. A lot may, of it is cheaper rates. It, it may be, it could be cheaper rates. And that's a very, you know, it's a very real deal, but it isn't always. And so it's like, what is, what are they creating? Is it a one-stop shop, which is kind of what you're talking about, right? Is it the ability? Is it a relationship? It is, it, it's more fun to deal with you. Is it, it's more complete. Is it, you know, who knows what that is? Um, we offer three job site walks or, you know what I mean? Who, who knows what it is, but how do you differentiate yourself to be able to do that? And I, and I think, cause we're going back to the same thing. I, I think we're saying job experience trumps most, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It doesn't really matter what it is. So everybody's going to ultimately have that at some point. Mm-hmm. So almost like, is there a threshold for it? Right. Well, if you didn't go to school, you know, you need, it takes 10 years job experience and then you can get your gold star. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but what does that look like too? Right. Yeah. And is that fair? Because in this world, I would tell you, I think it's fair. Like you look at lawyers, right? Mm-hmm. I want to be a lawyer for the longest time. There's a lot of school you got to go through. Yeah. But I think you can learn a whole lot more being on the job. You know what I mean? And doing like a really long-term internship and seeing how people actually work and what actually happens in the real world. There's some stuff you have to do. I'm not saying you can't, you know, to get rid of all the schooling, mm-hmm. but do you really have to go to school that long? You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, I was just having this conversation with my wife. I think, I think schooling in general needs to modify to more of a practice uh, focused. I know there's a lot of uh, foundational teaching that happens and sort of getting you to think a certain way. Yep. Uh, but I think there also needs to be more of an emphasis on uh, on yeah, actual well. like practice training yep. and what your day to day is really going to be like, um, rather and than think- some of the some of the extensive history and uh, different things that that don't really apply to your day to day that you can just pick up a book for on your normal day to day. Um, if you're interested, yeah. Well, well, how you operate day to day, you would pick up a book to find out certain information. You don't have to memorize all these things. No, and, and I think you're right. And I think the the whole idea being like, you know, we're not talking about. I think it's called undergrad, right? A bachelor's degree or whatever. Yeah. They're trying. You know, you may not necessarily know what you wanted to do, so you got to get exposed to a lot of things. And yeah, we can argue whether that should be fine tuned or not. But I think ideally, it's like, what do you really want to do? Try some stuff out with some case studies, and then kind of pick an emphasis. Great. Mm-hmm. But do you need the rest. Like, does it have to be the same way after that, or does that need? To, is that primarily high school and then college? You're going, okay, I really want to go through this and then get some hands on because I think a lot of people find out once they think this is what they wanted to do in school, and then they go do it outside. They're like, 
this. I don't want to do this. You know yeah. what I mean? And now you just wasted four years and $150,000. Uh, yeah, it wasted, sorry, it's a strong term, but you just spent <laughs> four years and $150,000 on something that you probably, to your point, could have easily rendered out that I don't really want to do this. Had you had some, you know, on the job training or whatever it is like, look at like Bitta, yeah, right. Which is a great program, you know, and telling people like, you can have a great job what's, out what here. Is, what does Bitta stand for? Is, Build building industry technology something maybe it's a training program for high school students yeah or like a bridge program to train for the construction industry exactly and people find out that they're you know really inclined at doing these types of things and really enjoy it like the teamwork atmosphere or go you know what i want to sit in an air-conditioned office and i really don't want to do this you know what i mean but that's good news because one of two things happens either a you just found an emphasis that you really like and you want to go after so you get all passionate about it or b you find out hey i don't want to be doing this but i gotta work my ass off to go do something else then you know what i mean like whatever that is so yeah. i think i think that that could be highly contagious if we could figure out a way to do more of that but it's complicated yeah there there <clears throat> ultimately i think there are way too many professions that don't look like the way that the schooling looks like <laughs> So that I think that's Slash a huge... almost all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh one thing that I forgot to mention uh that I wanted to mention before we get out of here is for anyone that's actually working in the industry of architecture and just considering licensing, one thing to consider is what do you want out of your career cuz as uh as someone that's working for a large firm for example, if you don't intend to be sort of one of the the higher up um designers or, or people in your company and you just enjoy just doing the actual sort of drafting here and there then licensing isn't necessarily a big deal um even though you may get a little bit of a pay bump but uh you just have to know where you want to go in your career if you're going to consider if you're considering licensing i think that's a good good place to stop so uh, thank you again for joining us. Um, we will see you on Thursday. Thanks. This show is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star rating and a review on your preferred podcasting app. It helps others find us, and your support is the only way that this show grows. And don't forget to connect with us through our Facebook community, Instagram, and see the random thoughts and articles that we share on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you again for spending some time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry. With Build Smart, the podcast that's changing 
how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK, the three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.